2: Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Swansea to my Brentford. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how the devil are you?
0: I'm, I'm very good. I'm, I, I presume I feel a lot better than Swansea fans this morning. I assume I definitely feel a lot better than Brentford fans feel this morning.
2: Yeah, I've uh, seen a few Brentford fans on our Twitter... It seems like West London was quite the place to be last night with Chelsea also winning the Champions League. Um, But I also imagine they are still very happy at the outcome of yesterday. You are, of course, listening to the biggest championship-specific podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Ladies and gentlemen, Brentford, our Premier League. How weird does that sound? Uh, They'll be playing in the top tier of English football for the first time since 1947 after they beat Swansea 2-0. An Ivan Tony penalty and Emiliano Marconde's goal sent Thomas Frank's boys on their way. And if you want a brief summary
0: of the game, Justin,
2: Brentford were
0: fairly comfortable throughout. Yeah, they were. They they were very, very comfortable. Um, It wasn't... uh, Well, if, if we're talking just statistically, David Ray had... Zero saves to make. Um, Swansea didn't have any shots on target. I think that was just one moment where Conor Hourihan put in a corner right on top of David Raya, and he had to punch it clear. And that was that was it really. And um, that's not really a, an indictment on, on Swansea. I, I thought Brentford controlled the game from start to finish. They managed the occasion a lot better than, than Swansea did, and um, they were deserved winners by by an absolute country mile. To be honest,
2: yeah, they were. They really, really were. And we'll talk about where it went wrong for Swansea shortly but let's go through the big moments in the game the Bees got off to a great start when they were given a penalty 10 minutes in after Brian and Boomer was brought down by Freddie Woodman no complaints about the penalty either Ivan Tony yeah. slotted at home and in the grand scheme of things we talk about Brentford's mentality on the big occasions and I think getting that goal early on was probably the best thing that could have happened for them
0: yeah well we but- we thought Swansea started quite quite well in the first five, ten minutes. They, they and then Sergey Kanos picks up the ball on the left hand side, um, cuts inside and plays a, a ridiculously incisive pass. a very, very good pass, one of the best assists this season, I think. Um well, it didn't actually end up in a direct assist but Yeah. I know what you mean. He, he was heavily involved in the in the, the penalty. Um and obviously Ivan Tony having the, the, the the coolness to step up at this this level in the game. I was convinced he was going to miss it. Um, I don't know why. I think just because of the <laughs> occasion. Even I was getting um, overawed with it. But as soon as he stuck that away, I think not only did you hear celebrations, but you hear everyone just sort of just fall back on the sofa and go right, yeah, let's go. Yeah, you we said Swansea.
2: You said Swansea played well. I thought prior to that goal, the game was quite nervy in the first few minutes, and it only seemed to calm down once Brentford got that goal and then they were just playing with freedom and confidence from that point on, weren't they? Ten minutes later, Brentford have a counter-attack lightning quick, Rasmussen plays it over to Marcondes and he fires it home and it seemed like that was a real you know, haymaker from a Brentford perspective to Swansea, Justin
0: It was, it was um, it was such a good counter-attack and it came from a, a Swansea attack, I think when I'm saying Swansea started the game well, I thought they were getting into the final, final third a lot easier than, than Swansea did, but the first goal changed changed the tide, and then the second goal just took the wind completely out of the sails of, of Swansea. And from uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's the quality that, that Brentford possess. I think um, winning the ball back. I think it was I think it was Jensen um, or, or Russell, if that tackled at AU. I can't quite remember, um, but winning the ball back in their own penalty area and then breaking away uh, so quickly. Um, Brian and Bueno's hold up play was tremendous really, waiting for support and then Ruslav, I thought Ruslav cocked up a little bit when yeah, I'm always, I'm the type of guy who says, just take it on your left foot just just get it in, take a shot on your left foot, but he came back inside on his right and found Emiliano Mocondes, and it was very good relaxed play again by Brentford, I don't think that would have happened in last season's playoff final, I think that was a complete mentality shift for Brentford today, uh, yesterday sorry.
2: Yeah, and uh, as I say, there was very much a haymaker from a Brentford perspective to a Swansea perspective. Um, And if we're sticking with the boxing related themes, then Swansea did seem rattled and that led to them making clumsy mistakes. And in the final few minutes of the first half, they were lucky to not be even further behind because there was one chance in particular when Gerhies tried to flick it backwards in a very uncharacteristic mistake from him. Mm -hmm. And Boomer nearly got on the end of it, but um, was eventually tackled. Swansea looked all over the place, really. And if they were a boxer, they'd have been stumbling around (laughs) out on their feet a bit. Um, In the second half, a much-needed break from a Swansea perspective for Steve Cooper to get them in and try and settle his team down. And they actually started well, didn't they? Uh, Andre Ayou Having an unbelievable opportunity in the first couple of minutes of the second half. Balls played across and he heads it wide from a few yards out. Glenn Murray on Sky was saying he thought it was the best chance of the match. But I thought it was quite a tricky one because if the ball's come flying across, hasn't it? And he's in between two men. He's stretching for it anyway. So for him to get it on target would have been quite difficult. But I don't think anything that can be debated is this. That if AU had scored that, then it could have been a very different result.
0: When we talk about nerves with Brentford, um, if Ayu puts that away, I think this it's very easy to, for me to say in hindsight, but it's a completely different second half from a Swansea perspective. I think mm-hmm. they can claw the game back if he puts that away. If, if Andre Ayu's six, six inches taller like I thought he was, because obviously we had a, a right old debate about Andre Ayou's height, I thought he was six foot one. <laughs> yeah, right. Hang on.
2: <laughs> we need to pull this up, actually. Let, let's take a quick break from the playoffs. So, Me and Justin were obviously watching the game yesterday, and we were talking about AU's height for some reason. And for some reason, you thought he was six foot one.
0: Honestly, I I was convinced he was six foot one, and then we fact checked, and I was like, I had to sit down. (laughs) For anyone who's not
2: aware, he's actually five foot seven, which is quite a height difference. I mean, that's nearly half a foot. Um, yeah there's a lot I, I, I don't why did you think he was 6 foot 1 because that is ridiculously tall in comparison
0: I think the first first thought is Ethan Penick and Pontus Janssen are both 6 foot 3 uh, like, given on my given my gauge of height they might be smaller or taller but he was but he had he had to the beat them of them in the air for, for a fair few opportunities so forgive me for thinking AU was taller than he actually is it is, it is a compliment to AU I, I would add
2: have you just never watched him like when he's on the ground? Have you only ever seen Andre Ayew when he's going up for headers?
0: Oh, surprisingly enough, I've never stood next to him, so it's impossible for me to, to, to judge wholly. But if he was taller, he puts that away. is yeah, going, going back to the original point.
2: Absolutely right, but that's no excuse for you <laughs> being terrible at telling people's heights. Um, anyway, let's get back onto the game. The next big moment was... Jay Fulton sending off on 66 minutes Mm. for Swansea after a tackle on Matthias Jensen. Now, I think everyone had exactly the same reaction when we (laughs) saw it initially. Everyone was just thinking, what a stupid challenge to make at that time. Coming from behind, we were watching the game together, weren't we? I said, that is a disgusting challenge. Jay Fulton should be absolutely absolutely ashamed of himself for doing that. But then the replay showed that actually he didn't really do too much wrong. He has stood on Matthias Jensen's foot and then that's led to him you know, losing his footing and kind of two-footing him. Mm. But whatever the case, it meant this game was only going one ray, really, didn't it, Justin?
0: Yeah, it was a really unfortunate red card um, in, in how it happened, but I think a red card is the fair outcome because it was a dangerous challenge, albeit whether or not it was accidental um, but when it was a one-sided game before I think any opportunity for Swansea getting into the game left at the moment that Jay Fulton got sent off in the 65th minute um, there was a, a, a glimmer of hope at that point I think very very slim because obviously they've gone 20 minutes into the second half without really getting into to, to Brentford I think the only opportunities they were creating were from long long throws from Conor Roberts um, so, yeah, any, any chance of getting back into the game at that point left when as soon as Jay Fulton was sent off.
2: Yeah, their chances by that point had seriously deteriorated in it anyway, but then that pretty much wiped it out and they didn't really have much of a sniff at goal from that point anyway. Um, not that they had much of a sniff at goal in the whole match as a whole. Um, so there we go. Brentford were promoted after not much else happened in the second half. What did you think looking at the game as a whole, Justin, what did you think Brentford did right?
0: I think they played the occasion a lot better than Swansea did. Uh, You could tell, especially sub-10 minutes after Brentford won the penalty, they were just playing with so much freedom and so much joy on the pitch, Um, which sounds a bit cheesy, but what I'm trying to say is it felt like a weight was just lifted from Brentford. Um, uh, I think Thomas Frank... Uh, looking at the 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 footage pre game he looked incredibly relaxed which thomas frank is an intense serious guy he never looks relaxed but he actually looked quite relaxed during um before the game which you know if, if if that tells me anything that he's got the then then he's got the players relaxed before the game um but yeah i think overall i think he's played the occasion a lot better than Swansea did mm. going 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 into it and as well as that They've got experience of this, whereas a few of the Swansea players don't, quite young, aren't they?
2: Yeah, I was going to say that I think, and this is one of those clichés that quite often I don't think really matter too much in football, but you hear analysts and pundits saying it all the time anyway. Mm -hmm. But on this occasion, I think Brentford genuinely did learn from last season. Mm -hmm. Um, We've been hearing from Billy from Besotted. He's been saying that hopefully they'll have learned from this year and it looked like they did. Thomas Frank, as you say, was a lot calmer than he usually is and maybe he thought that if he can you know, be that calm character in the dressing room, then he would go out there and reflect on the players and they did look a lot calmer than they have done it many times this season. Um, I think from a tactical standpoint, the most important thing they did was keep a tight leash on Andre Ayew. One thing we've said throughout the season is if you keep him quiet, then you go a long way to keeping Swansea quiet and... That's unfortunately, from a Swansea perspective, proven to be the case. Bradford were just brilliant defensively. They kept Jamal Lowe very quiet as well. I barely remember him touching the ball really, Um, and they were so dangerous on the break. Every time Swansea did come at them, and Bradford managed to get the ball back, it was straight up the other end. I thought Sergi Canos was great. Uh, The same with Emiliano Marcondes. The whole back line was class. As I've just said, they were so comfortable. And that's not something you say really too often in a playoff final.
0: Quite right, quite right. They're, they're normally very, very cagey games. No team is a clear winner, um, but Brentford were. And going back to the, the, the element of, of calmness, we didn't see any implosion from Pontus Janssen. Um <laughs> So I think that that's that the biggest tells you how calm they all. were. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That tells you how calm, calm Brentford were throughout the game, and how how switched on they were. Because at times their game management has been relatively poor. Going to the Bournemouth game in the semi-final, Ponteshart Janssen at right wing back loses the ball, Vitaly Anult dives in, uh, and Bournemouth score on the counter attack. They've learned from their mistakes. Uh, which is which again alludes to the point that you made. Um, so yeah, Bradford clear winners here and it's, it's, it's frustrating from a Swansea perspective because I expected so much more from them.
2: Mm. Yeah, going on, we'll go into Swansea in just a sec because you've raised a good point there. Looking back on this final compared to other finals, would you say this is one of the most one-sided playoff finals we've ever seen?
0: Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think I think I'd go back to the Norwich-Borough uh, game where Norwich put two in early against Borough and that was a comfortable game for them. Um, but other than that, the games are very, very close. Uh, there's no there's no separating the teams. Um, I know Fulham won 2-0 last year, but it was it 0-0 was until the 18th, 118th minute. Um, so yeah, it's, it's they're, they're very cagey games and Brentford clear winners, one of the most one-sided finals we've seen, I think.
2: Yeah, I'd agree with that. The Norwich game, as you said, Derby QPR was very one sided, even though the scoreline didn't exactly go the same way. Yeah, I think it was probably the most one sided playoff finals we've ever seen. Um, it's from the first 20 minutes, Brentford, of course, they were 2 0 by that point, but it looked like Brentford had one foot in the Premier League. Um, and it was always going to be a big ask for Swansea to get anything back from it. So. Yeah, I'd probably say it was one of the most one sided playoff finals that we've ever seen. So that brings me very nicely onto Swansea. What went wrong for them, I suppose quite a lot really, but from Steve Cooper's perspective, I thought starting off with three five two was an odd decision.
0: Quite right. Um we were we were banking on them going four at the back. At no point did I consider that they'd go three at the back. The debate in the playoff semifinals was were they going to go three at the back or were they going to go four at the back um, and I think on this occasion he's overthought it He's mm-hmm. tried, I think I feel like he's tried to match Brentford up because obviously Brentford have, have gone in with the three at the back as well and they looked incredibly good against Bournemouth with, with that three at the back um, so I think Steve Cooper on this occasion has, has overthought it and got it completely wrong um, considering how how well they manage Barnsley who play a similar counter-pressing counter-style to to, to Brentford do in, in in how they work off the ball um, I'd have thought a four at the back would have been the right thing to do because that four at the back managed that style off the ball a lot better uh, against Barnsley so to, to switch for, for a big game like this um, it, again probably goes down as one of the, the bigger mistakes in player finals the other one I can think of is obviously Frank Lampard not starting a striker um, for, for Derby in, in uh, the player final against Villa just just bizarre and I think as well as that just failing to get plays into the game I think Matt Grimes had the most touches on the pitch Um whereas Jamal Lowe only had 25 touches which is one of the lowest other than the subs getting Jamal Lowe in the game gets you joy in the final third he gets you a player running at the back four if you don't get him in the game then what chance have you got of getting the ball into the box
2: And about you're still not over Lampard yeah you couldn't resist bringing that one up could you you're very still bitter, bitter, very bitter. <laughs> yeah Considering Swansea in the 2 playoff semifinals semi semi-finals were playing 4-3-3, and then over the past couple of months, when they've gone to 4-3-3, that's when they've won games. They've really struggled with 3-5-2 recently. It looks like teams have figured out how to play against 3-5-2. It was very odd for them to go back to the 3-5-2. And, I mean, it didn't last long, did it? I think they were playing 3-5-2 up until they were 2-0 down and then went to 4-3-3, but by that point... It's a bit too late, wasn't it? Swansea played like the sides that we've seen in the second half of the season. Not the one we saw in the playoff semis or the first half of the season. They didn't have many ideas going forward. And at the back. It's not the Swansea side that we've seen for the majority of the season. And that's disappointing really because you want to see, you know, the two best sides possible go at it in the playoff final. But It just wasn't the case, and that's ultimately why Swansea are going to be in the Championship next season. Justin, let's go across now to the fans of the two teams. We'll start off with Billy Grant, the Brentford podcast, Be Sotted. Billy, try and sum up for us what it was like yesterday.
1: What a day. I got in at six o'clock in the morning, big partying. TWA went on all night. Everyone was singing, dancing, all sorts of songs. Up, full of down, everything like that. You know the usual ones that that is coming out, but also the strange one was we are Premier League, which no one ever thought. Really, you know, when we started supporting Brentford years ago, we'll sing that. Day started off very early at Wembley. We were out at nine o'clock. Sun was shining, so beautiful day. Set us up nicely. Went to the pub beforehand. Bit of singing, but everyone was focused. There wasn't like the old days when we'd turn up with hundreds of people and we'd fancy dress and open top double becker bus, just, just happy to be there. Not this time. We were focused there for the day out. Meet your mates, have a drink, you know, none of the sort of touristy sort of taking photographs. We've done that all before. Turn up in the stadium, made loads of noise inside the stadium, absolutely got behind the team, and it was a fantastic day out. I have to say, if anything, probably a little bit surreal because when we went 2-0 up and we thought this is a little bit easy for Brentford I'm not used to this
2: yeah I know that it's hard to really take in how a game's going when uh, it's such a big occasion like this but what did you make of the game yesterday
1: we knew Swansea are a good team the thing is that you can't give them an inch Swansea because if they get a sniff on goal they'll score so we had two things to do as Brentford they had to make sure that Swansea didn't get chances on goal, didn't get free kicks on the edge of the area which they were were vying for that and also we had to make sure that if we had one or two chances we had to put them in the back of the net because Swansea don't give you many chances the defence is very tight so we had to make sure that we took them so when we got the penalty and we scored it I have to admit I relaxed and I thought we control that game from start to finish Swansea, and I'm saying this most respectfully as well, they got to Wembley, but they reminded us of, you know, a few times when we've turned up at Wembley where you've worked so hard to get to Wembley. By the time you actually get to Wembley, Crossing that next bridge is difficult and I think the experience that we had last year when we got to Wembley, we worked hard turning around the one-goal deficit, got to Wembley, when we got there, we just petered out. It was very similar to us and in a way we said we felt sorry for the Swansea fans because you knew exactly what they were going through, but we needed to do what we had to do and I thought it was a thoroughly professional performance. wasn't the best game in the world, but we were going to kind of come out to razzle-dazzle people when you came here to do a job and I think they did it very well.
2: Yeah, looking at this from the grand perspective who deserves the most credit for getting Brentford promoted the owner Thomas Frank
1: even this promotion, look, Matthew Benham, Brentford owner has had this in his vision for years now it wasn't if Brentford go up for him he said, it's when Brentford go up so he knew this was going to happen and he's been planning for this for years so you've got to give him a lot of credit for putting all the cogs into place from the Uwe Rosler days all the way through, just building us through to promotion making us play a specific style of football and also keeping ourselves that we're not blowing ourselves out and just throwing money at it as well but just actually doing it things where we believe is, is the right way you know, and building the players and selling them and then getting in the new players as well but also Thomas Frank, he's been a manager of what for a couple of years two, two years and a bit as well he's learnt a lot but I think the way that he's actually dealt with the management of the players management of the team he's he fitted into Brentford's style as well he deals with the fans, he's a proper he's a wicked person, he's a lovely person but he's also a football person and I love Thomas Frank, I think he's great and he really deserved getting that victory, Thomas Frank, not only him but the team around him as well and Including people like Phil Giles, the director of football, Rasmus, the director of football. It's a team thing at Brentford. It's not about one person, it's about a lot of people. And I think that whole Brentford team they've built there really, really deserves the plaudits for getting us to where we are as well, and also the fans for backing them as well. We back them with the players, everybody. It's a, it's a family thing down at Brentford.
2: Yeah, and it's now the big question, Billy. How do you think Brentford will do in the Premier League?
1: We'll see how it goes. The fact that we've actually gone up and we've got the money from the Premier League is going to give us a cushion for years and that's going to really help a club like Brentford. The one thing I know is that the directors of football will have already, you know, pinpointed players that they want to sign. They would have done that a year ago and as soon as we come to the Premier League they're saying or they're going to be making the moves to get these players. We're not going to be spending 50, 60 million pounds on a a player because that's not what we do but we'll be spending more on players now because we've got a bigger pool to choose from better players to choose from as well. So it's going to be really interesting personally. I think Brentford are going to do all right in the Premier League because I think it's going to suit us more. We'll buy the players to fit in with the style that we need to and let's just see how it goes. But for us, Brentford fans, we're just happy to be there. We're happy we've done what we're going to do. We've proven a lot of people wrong and we're not wagging our fingers. We're just saying because people said teams like you can't go to the Premier League because it's all about money. It's not about money. It's about how you spend your money. And I'm really proud we stuck with our principles and I'm going to have a good summer.
2: Cheers, Billy. Now let's go to Tom from Total Swans TV. Commiserations, Tom. Where do you think it went wrong for your boys yesterday?
3: Um, I think Thomas Frank just set them, set them up um, spot on from the off. They looked far more drilled, far more disciplined. Um, in the first half, especially, they, they were by far the better team, uh, obviously, with losing Wayne Routledge uh, in the semi-final, we lost a bit of experience um, for the final. Bringing in um, Conor Roberts on, on on right wing maybe wasn't the best decision and playing IU up top. Um, IU's was better out on the wing, out on the right-hand side, being able to create space, um, bring the ball in on his left foot and you know have, have a couple of shots at goal. And I don't think that we really threatened enough throughout the game. Um, Down the wings, you know, we put a couple of balls into the box. Easy gathers for David Raya. a couple of balls over hit. Um, you could tell at half-time that Cooper wasn't happy with things. We come out the gates, kind of like Brentford did at the start of the second half, um, which was a lot better. Um, but yeah, we really just, I don't know. I don't think we were tactically right. Um, and maybe the nerves got to a few of the younger players. Yeah, and as a fan, how disappointing is that for
2: you to have such a successful season and for it all to come tumbling down right at the end?
3: Tumbling down is probably being quite kind. It was more like an aeroplane falling out of the sky. Um, yeah, long old season. The players have done an absolutely fantastic job. Cooper's done an amazing job with us this season. You know, improved on last season. Going into the playoffs, you know, earlier on before the season finished rather than on the last day like last season so it was um, it was disappointing but if I'm completely honest I sort of had the mentality yesterday of if we go up absolutely fantastic financially great for the club who knows what could happen in the Premier League but if we don't go up we've still got championship football next season it's not the be end and end all um, it's really enjoyable league there's far more games you can win it's just the only concern I think now is so many youngsters that we've got on loan um, so many youngsters that we've got within the squad, and then obviously all of the old players um who are going to be moving on. It could be Routledge's last season. It probably is Andre Ayew's last game yesterday in the Championship playoff final. So it's it's just going to be a bit of a, a struggle, I think, for the start of next season. I mean, we don't really we don't really have much of a squad to start the season with. So I'm not super disappointed. Uh, like I said, huge congratulations to Brentford, but to be honest, I'm not really that disappointed that we we haven't gone up. Yeah, well, that brings me on very nicely to what my
2: next question was going to be. Uh, the playing squad next season, Conor Roberts is probably also going to go in addition to the ones you've just mentioned. It's a big summer ahead for Swansea into in terms of
3: turning it around and trying to replace those players that are going to be going out the door. Yeah, as I just said now, so you're looking at the matchday squad from yesterday. Um, Woodman, Mark Erie, Connor Conor Hurahan are all going straight back to their parent clubs. Um, you got the likelihood of Wayne Routledge is more than likely going to retire at the end of this, especially after the injury. Andre Ayew's out of contract in the summer, will probably move on, and you know, quite possibly could take that step up to the Premier League. Um, you then got the look at um, Steve Cooper. Will he still be with us next season? If so, a massive, massive summer ahead for him and the recruitment team that the owners haven't really invested to say you know in the squad of the last two years, but they're going to have to find some money they're going to have to be some very very shrewd um, and clever recruitment throughout the summer but yeah at the moment we really don't have a, um, a much of an experienced match day squad to start next season so yeah in that light it is you know quite concerning quite worrying but if we can keep hold of cooper then you know i think we'll have a decent season next year but i'm not expecting um, Another playoff push already, if I'm honest, you know, I'll reassess that in the summer and um, before the season starts. But at the moment, probably a mid-table team next year. But the most important thing is, Tom, at least you get to spend another season with us on the second tier. Of course it does, mate. Full-time whistle yesterday. First thing on my mind... At least I'll get to appear on the second tier podcast next season, the biggest and best championship podcast. And uh, yeah, this season's been a pleasure featuring again, guys. So appreciate it and thank you very much. Thank you, Tom. Justin, let's go
2: to a break. After that, we'll talk about how we think Brentford will do in the Premier League, talk about how we think Swansea will do in the Championship again next season, and also, of course, talk about some of the news from the past week. I tell you what, there's nothing I love more than a classic football shirt. I've got loads of them. A Juventus shirt, Marseille shirt, even an Antalya Sport shirt. One of the reasons I've got so many is because I can get them for a great price from ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk. They've got shirts for teams from all over the globe and that, of course, includes championship clubs. So if you wanted a classic Wednesday shirt, Reading shirt or Barnsley shirt, whoever you support, they'll have something for your club. It's not just shirts either, they've also got tracksuits, baseball caps, socks, so much stuff. Have a look for yourself. Go to ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk right now. Welcome back to the second tier podcast. So Justin, here is the big question, the million dollar question. How will Brentford do in the Premier League? First of all... Do you fancy them to stay up next season?
0: Uh, I think I do. It's it's so difficult to predict how these things turn out because Norwich a couple of years ago, given how they, they went up under Daniel Farker in the first season they won the Championship, you'd expect them to turn up and rattle a few teams, I think at the Beatty City, but after, after a bit it just tailed off and Sheffield United actually <laughs> ended up doing um, better than them. So it is difficult to say, but I think... If they get recruitment right, I feel like they've got places that, you know, sorry, positions in their team that need improving. They'll need better, better, um, better quality players uh, as backups as well. For example, is Mads Røslev going to be the first team right back next season in the Premier League? Maybe there might be faith in him to to do the job, but having players who can who can chip in everywhere who've got Premier League experience, I think is going to be important for Brentford, and they might have to deviate a little bit from the. From the transfer strategy that they, they that they put in, but then again, I think I think Leicester when they when they first went up under Nigel Pearson, I think I mean other than signing Esteban Cambiaso, there weren't too many additions with a great um, great level of Premier League experience. I think as Mark or Brighton as well, um, maybe a couple of more, but there wasn't there wasn't too many, and they they did fine, didn't they? They did all right. Um, so I think Brentley eventually and obviously. What in the Premier League just just that um, so I don't think there's, there's too much that they need to do but I think getting Premier League experience goes without saying into that team
2: I tell you what Justin I genuinely do think Brentford can be a side which breaks into Europe I'm not saying it will happen next season I think they'll take a couple of seasons to adjust to the Premier League and really settle themselves but it's 100% a club which is capable of continuing to progress because obviously they've progressed a lot over the past few years, I don't see any reason why that cannot continue. We all know how good they are at recruiting players. Imagine what they can do now with the added pull of the Premier League and million pounds more in the bank pocket in the back pocket. It's, it's exciting to think about. And that's why I genuinely do think, in the long term, they could be amongst the sides that are challenging for the top six. They've got to make sure they stay up next season, first and foremost. But I'm more confident in them doing that then Watford and Norwich if I'm being honest Mm. I think they've already got a squad which can stay up but if they recruit well as they always do that will only improve their chances
0: I'm trying to I'm trying to think of relevant examples for for Brentford but I do think they're one of the first because they're not a big club um, especially in West London I know QPR have had Premier League experiences there's Fulham as well who have been in the Premier League um, and obviously Chelsea, who aren't the biggest of teams, only won the Champions League uh, yesterday. So in terms of club size, they're not they're not very big, and obviously they haven't been in the the top division since 1946. I think we saw a start yesterday on Sky. 47. 1947, which is a fair amount of time ago. Um, it wasn't it wasn't yesterday, was it? So they are one of the firsts for me, um, because as I say, there's that small club mentality that they. That they have throughout because they're a community club, and I don't mean it as any disrespect to Brentford. They compared to the size well, of the, the club point around you're them. To make it? Get to the point. What, what I'm trying to say is exactly that. They are one of the first of the, of their sort of mould to go up. They the, the transfer strategy, the way they run, um, the coaching set up because they got B teams. They don't have an academy. They they, they employ B teams and, and and age groups going below. Um, and it, it, for me. It, having that going into the Premier League is what well, not only is it refreshing but as well as that, um that that that's probably why they they, they will compete with the likes of Burnley because they do it the traditional way, whereas Brentford have, have come in with this new strategy that has completely swept the board that teams are starting to copy. So they they are one of the first of their kind in that environment. Trying to get yeah. trying to articulate a point. But that's what I'm trying to say.
2: Yeah, you've taken a very long way round to get to that point, yeah. but I do get what you mean. Um, I get They are a very unique side, aren't they, in terms of what they're bringing to the Premier League, in terms of the money ball system. Um, yeah. I suppose the only club that you can really compare them to in terms of size would be someone like Bournemouth, I guess. In terms of size and then in terms of... The recruiting side of things. I'm guessing Brighton are kind of a similar, yeah, kind of mould, aren't they? So you kind of mix in those two clubs together. Um, but I do think Brentford have got a lot about them. They're a side that have been made for the Premier League for quite some time. They've got the stadium, they've got the recruitment. It's all about actually having the pull of the Premier League and the extra, you know, money lying in the in the bank accounts. So now that they've actually got that. I think it can lead to great things but speaking of chances of how they'll do in the Premier League their chances of holding on to star players especially Ivan Tony have greatly increased now haven't they do you think he'll stay
0: yeah i think i think they will i think given how he was reacting in the, the post match presser uh, there's there's no way of, of him leaving i think as well as that him having more time at a club like Brentford who are are there to improve players and sell them on? Um, I think that's going to stand him in, in good stead rather than jumping ship at the first opportunity. I don't think there'll be many clubs that will be willing to fork out the money that Brentford will want for him. We look at Said Ben Rama um, a couple of seasons ago. Um, I can't remember when it was now, but he was linked after it was his first full season when he was linked with, with big clubs um, coming in for him. They didn't. They didn't sell because they were asking too much money. I think Brentford had the same mentality. The likes of Ivan Tony, but as well as that, I think Sergei Canos has has um, has proved that he's also a big player for Brentford, as well as Brian and Bamey Vitaliano. I think, I think he's been capped at under twenty one level for Germany. So if he has a good season in the Premier League, I won't be surprised to see him on the radar of, of of Hansi Flick, the new Germany manager, as well. So there are a lot of players here who've got so much potential, so so much potential. Um, So no doubt there'll be clubs sniffing around, but I don't think Brentford are under any pressure to sell.
2: Well, that's it, isn't it? You quite rightly said before that their system was to bring in these young players, mould them, and then sell them for a greater price. Now, they don't have to do that because they've got, obviously, the TV money from the Premier League. And when a club comes knocking for Ivan Tony, which I think they still will do, I think clubs Mm -hmm. will be asking, well, how much do you want for him? They're more than entitled to put a big old price tag on it Um, Mm -hmm. because now they know they don't have to sell if they don't want to. So they can hold on to your star players like Tony. Um, And if a massive, massive bid comes in and they think, actually, we could probably, we've got someone else lined up and we can bring him in for a cheaper price, then may as well. So it's only a win-win for Brentford, really, in, in this situation. I will say this, I'm going to miss talking about Brentford, in the championship, mm-hmm. just in how infuri- I Well, I know it, how infuriatingly <laughs> wasteful they are when it comes to XG. They do deserve to go up, don't they? Of course, they finished third with one of the best points tallies a third place side has ever had. So, I don't think anyone can particularly begrudge them actually going up. I think the thing is as well, even if they didn't go up, they'd have been challenging for automatic promotion again next season, wouldn't they? The other three playoff teams. I'm not sure we could have necessarily said that about, but Brentford, because they're so well run, they would have definitely been challenging to go up again in a year's time. So I'm kind of glad that they have gone up, because that means it's just over and done with.
0: Yeah, but when you say the likes of um, Barnsley, Bournemouth, I mean, Bournemouth have got a mini rebuild on their hands. Swansea are going to have a mini rebuild on their hands. Barnsley have got the potential to, to... To creep up, but can they replace their best players if they lose? the Mannix Miller's out of contract. Whereas Brentford, you're always confident that Ollie Watkins left, brought in Ivan Toney, Saeed Rama left, um, Sergi Canos uh, stepped up, and Brian and Bama stepped up in the latter half of the season. So, you're always confident that Brentford are going to find a solution to a problem very, very quickly. Whereas other teams don't have that. I think Barnsley are just setting out that journey now. So, perhaps they're a team who will start to fill that category very soon, hopefully. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right that they're, they're a team that are that are on the up, even if they didn't go up this season, they'd have been challenging next season. Um, even if Thomas Frank had left, again, I'd have been confident that the right man would have been put in place to um, to take the team forward. So they've always got a plan B, they've always got a plan C, they've always got a plan D. doesn't matter how, how badly they have to deviate, there's always a plan for Brentford, which makes them one of the best-run clubs in the country.
2: Yeah, absolutely. They know how to recruit don't they we we could go back to this point but their recruitment is so impressive how many strikers have they gone through over the past few years now Andre Gray Neil Morpay Ollie Watkins um, Ivan Toney they've got this proven track record of selling these players and then bringing in someone arguably better
0: well a really important point to make is Brentford are a small club the the likes of QPR Fulham these aren't big clubs but Brentford because they're so well-run, because they recruit really well and and sell high, they they buy low, sell high, they've been able to compete financially with the likes of, well, in terms of transfer fees, the likes of Watford, Bournemouth, um, teams that have really thrown money at it. You look at Derby and Sheffield Wednesday, how much money they've thrown at it in the past few years. Brentford have thrown less at it, better, um, better off financially for it, got better players. It's just a mould of what you should do as a football club yeah. in, modern, in modern times
2: Yeah, it's a template isn't it for how championship clubs should be run really or at least yeah. similarly run whereas other clubs who I'll neglect to name have spunked a lot of money on players who have no resale value well Brentford have shown this is the way to do it uh, Justin, commiserations to Swansea fans but look on the bright side you'll have, still have us next season So I think that's the greatest prize of all. I think I may have just heard a massive groan come from the South Wales area there. (laughs) Um, Obviously, massive disappointment for the Swans, Justin. Of course, they have still got a long summer ahead. But what are your early instincts about how Swansea will look like next
0: season? It could be a very different Swansea. Um, we've seen Steve Cooper linked with, I think, Palace. Um, there might be another club in in the running um, that I've been linked with him. Um, so that yeah, that, I mean, there's there's two there's two takers there. I think Palace, Palace, uh, they've been waiting. I've heard Andre Townsend say that they're waiting for a manager to come in. Um, and it's close apparently to start offering contracts out to players so that might be Steve Cooper if we were to speculate but yeah, they might be without Steve Cooper lone players are going to go back to their parent clubs Um, the likes of Wayne Routledge, Andre Ayou they're out of contract so it's going to be a different Swansea team to the one we saw in the playoff final I don't think that's a bad thing because I think this is a really good opportunity to throw down some ambition throw down Three or four million pounds rather than freeze and a couple of hundred thousand here and there. Because if you back Steve Cooper, if he is still at the club, if you back Steve Cooper, I think he can take the Swansea team and put into the Premier League. Um, but saying that, they've got to replace the big players that are leaving Mark, Mark Gurhey, um, Conor Hurahan, uh, Andre Ayou. Andre Ayu is a massive, massive player that they're going to lose,
2: yeah. Uh, and that's really why i worry about swansea a bit justin it is also worth pointing out this is their last year of parachute payments so that constant flow of cash guaranteed cash isn't necessarily coming in and from a playing side of things it does look like it's going to be a summer of upheaval at the liberty stadium andre ayu isn't going to stay because his deal is expiring i don't think conor roberts will stay either i think he'll probably go to the Prem and I don't think Swansea fans can be too upset about him leaving and then Mark Goody and Freddie Woodman are only on loan and what I've just listed there Justin is Swansea's four best players this season now for a club to lose their best player is obviously a big blow but when you lose four of them that is quite something to come back from and it's not like the replacements are there in the squad ready to step in are they This this Swansea squad is quite small compared to other championship clubs and no doubt they'll have to recruit this summer. I think they'll almost certainly dip into the loan market again. That's a very reliable source of players for Mm -hmm. Swansea as a club and they've done very well in that market recently and I think they'll do exactly that again, bring in some very talented players. It's just a lot of talent that needs replacing and that leaves me at the final point that I don't think they'll be able to replicate the season that they've just had.
0: I think that that builds that builds into the point that Steve Cooper did a very good job with the team that he's got. I think we were looking at the benches yesterday and Brentford were able to bring on Godos. Um whereas Swansea didn't have got a from Liam who could... Cullen, didn't they? Yeah, and it's I mean that, it's that's no disrespect to Liam Cullen, Cullen yeah, but he yeah.
2: he's a young lad who hasn't yeah, really exactly. done it in the first team, has he?
0: And he hasn't got big game experience. Um, so not having that that strength and depth that that teams need in, in a big game like that to change the game. They needed a player to come on and change the game, didn't have that. Um, so that not only did they not have that now, but they're going to lose their four best players, as you said. So they've got to replace those and bring in players who can do something as a squad player, essentially. So yeah, they're in a bit of a, a sticky, sticky situation. But again, Swansea... They have a good recruitment team. They, they identify good players. Um, I think if Steve Cooper is there, they will be able to bring in young young players. And I think the free agent market is looking pretty pretty tasty this season. So there might be one or two they'll they'll dip in there as well. But yeah, it's a big summer ahead for Swansea, and I think yeah, I won't be surprised to see them competing up in the for the top six next season. But this season they were competing for the automatics up until sort of eight games to go before they fell away don't think that will happen next season
2: well they're not the kind of club who spends you know bags of money are they they are very uh, prudent in their spending and that's going to be the case again they may very well have to dip into the free agent market um, to bring in any permanent signings but as I say I think the loan market will very much be utilised by Swansea once again the final question then on the Swans Justin is what you were talking about just a second ago Steve Cooper Will he stay or will he go? He has been linked with other jobs, namely the Palace job. West Brom is another job he's been linked with, although it looks like Chris Wilder's going to get that job now. Do you think he will stay? And another question after that is, how important is it that he does stay?
0: I think. I think first. First point is, I think he. I think he will go. Really, um, I do. I think he will go. I think Palace. Um, Again, Palace is a big rebuild job but they're a Premier League team and as well as that, they're a team that I think they're going to change strategy because it's very well spoken about how how old their average age and their squad is. I think coming in and bringing in someone like Steve Cooper who's been able to deliver... Um, Deliver under the odds, under under pressure as well. Um, we've not we've not a huge budget. I think he's been able to get a lot out of the the team tactically, and um, I think he's de- de- developed players as well. You look at Conor Gallagher and Ream Brewster; they they stepped up last season, and Mark Gerhey's been just unreal, real Conor Roberts has, has come on in leaps and bounds as well. So <laughs> there there are there's evidence there that he's that he's improved players that 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 have worked under him. So. Yeah, I think I think Palace will 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 come in for him. I think Palace will, I think he will, will end up going to Palace. And I think from a Swansea perspective, I do think it's important that he stays because, as a coach, he's the perfect mould of getting the best out of young players, being tactically spot on. Although there was a bit of a tactical faux pas yesterday in the playoff final, the biggest game, um, and uh, uh, as well as that, he's been able to man um, manage the experienced guys, Andre for example. Um, I read a, read an article that um, he, he works very well for Steve Cooper um, so he's, he's the perfect more for Swansea but then again Swansea have always been able to replace their head coaches ever since I think Roberto Martinez took over then it's Paolo Sosa then Brendan Rodgers etc etc they've always been able to replace their head coaches so I don't think it is imperative for Swansea uh, or, or as, as as much of a um, a release uh, for Swansea, I think they can replace Steve Cooper.
2: Yeah, always replace the coaches with Gary Monk. Um, <laughs> yeah, they have got a very good track record at bringing in coaches, haven't they? I mean, you talk about Graham Potter and Steve Cooper; they're probably the two highest-rated British managers apart from Brendan Rodgers in the country right now. Um, so, it has a fantastic track record from a Swansea perspective. I don't think Steve Cooper will go. I think the Palace job will probably go to someone like Frank Lampard. Um, and I'm not saying that's the right decision, but <laughs> that's how I think it will go. Um, and I think Steve Cooper will stay. Whether he stays for the whole of next season is another question. I wonder if a Premier League club, who when they inevitably sack a manager, whether Steve Cooper will be one of the first names on the shortlist for that job. Um But I do think he'll stay for the summer. I think it is important that he does stay as well. I know he's not completely well thought of in the Swansea fan base for some reason, but he is one of the best managers in the Championship in terms of the job he's done this season. Mm -hmm. And if Swansea do manage to keep hold of him, then that's only going to be a good thing for them progressing as a club, because it is a project. They may have to take a step back next season, but if they manage to keep hold of Steve Cooper, then it shouldn't be too drastic a step back. Justin... Let's move on from the playoff chat and go on to this. Yes, it's time for the news and we'll start off with this Justin. Slaviša Jokanović has been appointed the new Sheffield United boss. He takes over from Paul Heckingbottom, who was interim charge after Chris Wilder left. I tell you what, I think this is a brilliant appointment, Justin.
0: I think any club that gets Slivici, Jukanovic in is, is a brilliant appointment. I think the only reservations I have is just style of play, whether or not he can get out of um, Sheffield United, what he got out of Fulham. I think it took a bit of time for him to get it at Fulham. It obviously, he was there for half a season before they... Um, actually, no, it was, it was probably a, a full year before Fulham really got going with him because
2: they were... He He was there for half a season, then they got into the playoffs the season afterwards and then they won the playoffs the season after that.
0: Yeah, but when um, it was the, it was a half the half season when they got into the playoffs. The first half of the season they were really really poor, mm. and then they went on this ridiculous run that got them into sixth, I think, or yeah. even higher. Yeah. Um, and that's when they started to really kick on after that point. So it was probably like a, a full year before before they really got going. So it's it's The only reservation for me is how how long it takes them to get that style of play into this Sheffield United team because they've gone from a. A Chris Wilder which it's not defensive but it's it's disciplined it's hard working it's organised how can he progress that how can he get that foundation level that Chris Wilder um, instilled and put his spin on it um, I, I, think, I think he's a good enough coach to do it and by God has he got a good squad to work with at a championship level so it could be frightening but as well as that I think it could also not be I think it could underwhelm.
2: I don't think the squad's that good at Championship a cha- level? At
0: Championship level?
2: Compared to the likes of West Brom. I think West mm. Brom squad is much better than Sheffield United's.
0: Um, I, I don't know. I I really rate this cha- uh, Sheffield United squad at Championship level. I mean, Rui and Bruce and Ollie McBurney, for example, in the Championship, we know they've both scored a lot of goals. Both are Swansea actually. Yeah, so, that,
2: that, that's fair. I think it's a very good Championship squad, but I think West Brom's squad, for example, is a decent Premier League squad. It's just not necessarily the right man in charge. But going back to Iukanovic, I think it's a brilliant appointment. He plays nice football, very similar football to Chris Wilder, actually. Um, So I don't think there's too much of a drastic change in terms of style of play. And when you're talking about managers who have got fantastic records at championship level, Slavis Iukanovic is right up there. I think this decade or the past 10 years, what have you, he has only four managers have got better points per match records than him um, yeah. and I think the only reason that's been let down is because of that first year as you mentioned at Fulham in his first season at Watford he got promoted in the two out of three seasons he was at Fulham they finished in the top six so that is quite a, quite a you know, track record to have at championship level and there aren't many better at this level than him so I think it's a fantastic appointment by Sheffield United. Hopefully it settles them down as a club because at the moment things seem a bit uh, behind the scenes. But now, <laughs> that, now that they have got him in charge and they've got that permanent man, hopefully he can take him to the Premier League. As I say, it's a very good championship squad. Um, so, yeah, hopefully Slavisa can guide them on their way back to the prem. Um, moving on to other management news, it's widely reported that Chris Wilder, who we are just talking about, is about to come the next West Brom boss after Sam Allardyce left. You are a fan of that one, Justin?
0: Yeah, I love that one. I love Chris Wilder. I think he's I think he's fantastic and I think as well as that he's, I'm surprised that no top I say the top 15, top 10 club have of come in for him. I think the reason why the reason why I say that I know some people might go really um, but he's improved every single club he's worked at mm. um, I think when he got promoted from League 2 with Northampton they were under transfer embargo for six months they couldn't bring anyone in um, he's he's improved every single club he's worked at and um, I'm surprised he's not had a top top job yet um, I don't know if he needed more of a break because this season it looked like it really took it took it out of him because he's such a, a sparky character and um, he was a bit. Uh, he looked a bit more downtrodden this season. Granted, they 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 did play very very poorly, um, especially going forwards. But the wealth of attacking options um, in this West Brom team. Phew, God, this is going to be an interesting season. Yeah, it's, if he's uh, in charge,
2: if he's in charge, it looks almost certain that that's going to be the case. But it's quite a mix having Chris Wilder and this West Brom squad in the Championship. Chris Wilder, as you rightly say. I think he's got some sort of a record where before last season he'd only finished below the season before once, if that makes sense in yeah. the in the uh, English pyramid. um he's got an unbelievable record. He has improved every club that he's been at, and everyone you know has focused too much on how badly last season went at Sheffield United. Before that, there weren't too many better English managers than him around mm-hmm. he is a brilliant brilliant manager at this level and for West Brom to get him in I think it could be one hell of a move um, and hopefully this takes on to the next level transfer news Justin Reading defender Omar Richards has finally signed for Bayern Munich we know it's happening for quite some time but has now eventually been confirmed Luton have signed Fred Onyedima from Wickham on a permanent deal you were quite a fan of that weren't you
0: yeah, it was. Um, I'm. I'm interested to see where he plays for Luton because whether they play that diamond formation, I think there was. Um, I mean, Nathan Jones was trying different, trying out different things towards the end of last season. But if he plays in that diamond, I think he could play as a two, um, uh, or up front, could potentially play wing back if they were go to, if to go if, to, if they were to go three at the back. So yeah, I think it's a really good signing for Luton, and um, he's a good player on you, Dimmer. Don't be don't be fooled by the um, the. Bad goal record. He creates a lot of chances uh, in his runs. He's, he's a really good player.
2: Millwall are signing left-back Scott Malone on a permanent deal from Derby. They're also getting Hall goalkeeper George Long. The latest clubs to announce their released players include West Brom, Bournemouth and Middlesbrough. West Brom have let go. Charlie Austin, Hal Robson-Karnou, Kamil Grosicki, Lee Peltier, Branislav Ivanovic and Carl Edwards. Some extremely good championship players in there, Justin. Of course, we're expecting Charlie Austin to go back to QPR. Camel Grisicki, a fantastic championship player, and how Robson Carnou was fantastic for Rash Brom in the season they went up. <laughs> People forget about that, don't they?
0: They do. I think Kyle Edwards is worth pointing out as well. He's a player who has got a lot of potential still, He's very good with the ball at his feet. So there's some good players in that group. I think if I was a, a, a club, um, Looking at a uh, top six trying to improve my, my, my bench, for example. There are some players I'd, t- I'd pick up there. Swansea. Mm-hmm. Kamakosiki
2: would be a fantastic signing for mm-hmm. any championship side. Bournemouth have released Jack Wilshire. I've got a friend who isn't a particularly keen follower of the championship. And he said to me in the week that he didn't realise Jack Wilshire had been at Bournemouth. Which is perhaps a good summary of this season for him. Because I think it's been a successful one in the way that he hasn't been injured which is not yeah. something we've been able to say for Jack Wilshire for much of his career but any hope of him getting back to his best is long gone isn't it
0: we've barely spoken about him which is probably mm. indicative of how, how he's played in this Bournemouth team I don't think they, they've particularly played a system under Woodgate that suited him so he's not really been in the team too much but we, I play like Jack Wilshire of his guild uh, five or six years ago coming into Championship you'd be like, whoa, mind blown. But actually, it's unsurprising at all. I don't know where he's going to go from here. It is sad because he's a quality player, but these things happen with injuries.
2: Yeah, I think he'll definitely be picked up by probably another championship side, but it'll be interesting to know what wages he's on because I I can't Hmm. imagine it's much because clubs are very much aware of his injury record. Middlesbrough are letting go of some big names. Britta Sombolonga and Ashley Fletcher, which we already knew was going to happen. Marvin Johnson, Jordan Archer and Nathaniel Mendez lang have also gone. Former Spain international Mikel San Jose has also left Birmingham, despite having an extra year left on his deal. That that was a weird move, wasn't it? Because initially, when he went to Birmingham, his first couple of games, he was fantastic. And then, since then, he's looked... Very, very average, but there you go. Uh, Luton have released George Monkirk, Kazenga Loa and Brendan Galloway. Final bit of transfer news Barnsley, Huddersfield, and Wednesday are all reportedly trying to sign the tallest outfield professional player in Britain. Solihull Moor striker Kyle Hudlin is six foot nine. And I tell you what, I do feel sorry for players like that, Justin, because he probably grew up and looked at someone like Messi and thought I want to be like him but as soon as a coach sees him it's either straight in at centre-back or as a big target man you don't really get a don't really get a say do you?
0: I can just hear Tony Pulis salivating at the thought oh of yeah well, there's,
2: quite, there's quite a few championship managers who will maybe be looking at him uh, away from transfers, Stoke have released their accounts, they've made a loss of £91 million which is an awful lot of money isn't it especially when it leads to them Finishing 14th in the Championship. Um, While we're on club spending an awful lot of money, Justin, has Derby's takeover been complete yet? Nope. Nope. The provisional England squad for the Euros has been revealed. 23 of the 33-man squad have played in the EFL. It's always nice to see some Football League representation in there, isn't it? Just a good reminder as well that players we're watching in the Championship right now could very well be representing their countries in the near future. It's not as much of a stretch as it once was. Justin, Championship legend Chris Brunt has announced his retirement. What a man, Justin! What a man! What a left foot!
0: Yeah, it's an underrated left foot, I think. Um, it was yeah a very good player. I think it was at Wednesday, wasn't he? He was actually for Wednesday, and then West Brom. For some reason, I get him and Glenn Whelan mixed up all the time, but. Um, which is a very good tribute right now but yeah he's, he he was such a good player uh, in in his days at West Brom especially at championship level and um yes it's it's sad but it's it's part of the part of the process his players retire we get new ones we get to worship new ones and uh, they'll come along
2: yeah but in terms of championship legends he's one who has played an awful long time in the premier league and i think is a really underrated premier league player because he, he's been able to play at that level for so long and been a key player for West Brom for mm-hmm. so long. So uh, good luck, Chris Brunt, with your future plans, whatever they may be. James Vaughan has announced his retirement from football at the age of 32. Can you guess how many appearances he's made in the Championship? And don't try and be clever here by double-guessing it. Give me a genuine guess at what you think it would have been.
0: I'm going to say 60.
2: 183 times. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> exactly what I thought Justin. I have no idea he's played that much, but I had to google who he's actually played for in the championship because I barely remember him playing. He's played for seven clubs. Can you name two of them apart from Derby? No,
0: Norwich and Birmingham. I actually wicked him um when he announced his retirement because I wanted to see how many goals he scored this Wait, season.
2: You say Norwich and Birmingham? He hasn't played for Norwich in the championship.
0: Ah, oh, right, fair enough. <laughs> the clubs he
2: played go. for include Derby, Leicester, Crystal Palace, Huddersfield, Birmingham, Sunderland, and Wigan. All of them at Championship level. Cannot remember him playing for any
0: of them. I remember Sunderland because it was Simon Grayson who signed him. Um, yes. And he scored twice and then went to Wigan. Went to Wigan after that.
2: Yes. He was at very wanting. And had a very good season there. And quite a few championship clubs were looking at him. And then he went to Sunderland and did terrible. Which is very Sunderland-esque. Final bit of news, Justin. Completely bizarre news. Blackburn forward Ben Brereton has been called up to the Chile national team. He was born in Stoke. As far as I'm aware, he has never been to Chile. But his mum is from there. So there you go. Well done to Ben Brereton. Justin, it's time for the polls. This is the part of the show where I ask the listeners on Twitter three questions that we want to get their input in so the first question that I put out to the listener Justin was this who will finish highest in the Premier League next season Brentford Norwich or Watford
0: I think Norwich will finish highest I'd have said
2: Brentford the listener has gone Watford 43% said Watford 30% said Brentford only 20% said Norwich. So not too many team not too many people fancy in Norwich so far. Where will Swansea finish in the championship next season? Automatics, playoffs, top half or lower than that?
0: At the moment I'd say top half.
2: I'd also say top half. The listener also says top half. Fifty one percent said top half, twenty seven percent said playoffs, eighteen percent said lower, only four percent said automatics. And finally, does a straw have one hole or two?
0: I I think it has one hole.
2: It's two. Come on now, let's not be silly. Um, I didn't actually give the answer then, did I? i just put my phone down. Hang on a sec. <laughs> um, 55% said one, 45% said two. That makes no sense, it's two. Right, now it's time for
1: this. <laughs> Hi, Simon Grayson, Edge.
2: Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. This is the part of the show where... Usually we give Justin and two guests a question which they have to name eight of. So, for example, if I were to say name the uh, first eight teams in the championship alphabetically, we'd go round and if they get one wrong, they're out and we keep going until they name all eight. But to mark the end of this glorious championship season, we thought we'd do things a bit differently this week. I'm going to answer the question. Simon Grayson has turned the tables on me, that sneaky so-and-so. Justin, what is the question this week?
0: So, obviously, we saw Steve Cooper, uh, a defeated boss in the playoff final, but can you name me the last eight championship playoff final losers? The losers or the managers? Managers.
2: Oh, bloody hell, that's tough. They are big
0: losers in this situation. In, in all I mean, fairness, I, I just got the teams in front of me, and I was able to just pick the names off. I knew who they were. I think I'd struggle to name the teams. Right, okay. Um...
2: Managers Are we counted Steve Cooper? No No Okay Thomas Frank Yes Steve Bruce At
0: Villa Yes Yeah 2018 Steve Bruce lost Villa lost That one
2: Who was in between? Oh Frank Lampard
0: Yep Didn't play a striker In a player final one On Frank (laughs) Hope you Hope you get another top job
2: (laughs) So bitter (laughs) (laughs) Right it was before Villa. Was that Reading? Well, oh, Yapstam's there, isn't he?
0: Yep, Yapstam, That's the one. That playoff final, nil-nil against uh, against Huddersfield, which Huddersfield won.
2: Um, now you're asking. Uh, that's four four down, until I've got four left. Yeah,
0: you, you've 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 gone twenty twenty to twenty seventeen there. So you've gone in order from the top.
2: So twenty sixteen, I think, was Wednesday, wanted not it? And that was Carlos Carvajal.
0: Yeah, Big C, I think he won a cup with Braga Last couple of weeks Yeah, he Doing is. very well down there
2: Well done Carlos um, Oh Christ, it was before that
0: We've mentioned this one already today
2: Have we? Have we really? Mm. Yes, um, Norwich beat Middlesbrough Didn't they? And Middlesbrough manager was Karanka
0: It was Karanka, 2-0 to Norwich in that final
2: I'm doing a lot better than I was expecting Um I'm having, Bons- I'm having a Barnsley.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So doing really well. You're getting through it a lot quicker than I got through last week's.
2: 2014 was Derby, and the manager was Steve McLaren It was Steve McLaren So the last one I've got, got is 2013. More.
0: 2013. And I can't remember who who won in 2013. It was a forgettable final. It was it was a a goal in extra time that won it. A penalty in extra time that won it.
2: Yes, that was Palace against Watford. But I can't remember who the Watford manager was. <laughs> who Hello, was
1: the manager? manager.
0: Here's Hog Dini. I've
2: got it, I've got manager? it. I nearly said Jakanovic. I nearly stumbled then. But because you said that, I oh, remembered. I, <laughs> I would have not remembered because the camera pans instantly to Gianfranco Zola yeah thank you for saying that, room. because I would have never got that had you not said that, <laughs> oh Christ, I got very nervous then, but I managed to pull it out of the bag. i'm very proud of myself for that. I think that's a good effort
0: It's stressful, isn't it?
2: It is stressful, <laughs> but
0: it helps <laughs> after the whole the season
2: asking the questions gives you clues
0: yeah i I cocked up there, well done me <laughs> a very good well job. done
2: you, and well done me. Well, there we go. That brings an end to a glorious season of Championship Football. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us, not just today, but throughout the season. Despite the football ending, we are still providing the goods over the summer months. That's right. Although it won't be our usual episodes. Here's a vague plan of what we're doing. Next week, we'll be doing our season grades, where we go through each team in the Championship, talk about what went well, what went wrong, before giving them a grade. That's more than likely to be a two-parter, and that'll come out next weekend. So you've got that to look forward to. We'll probably do one more episode after that and then we have a series of meets episodes lined up for you with current players in the championship right now Mm. and a few championship legends as well very in-depth chats there so you have that to look forward to me and justin are going to use that time to have a well-deserved break justin how are you going to spend your summer Fixing my house. (laughs) I'm going to spend two months in the pub. As always, guys, thank you for your support. If you could just take two seconds of your time to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, then we'd be really grateful for that. It goes a long way to helping us grow as a show. Congratulations to Brentford. We're going to miss talking about you. And commiserations to Swansea fans. We look forward to seeing you again next season. As for us, we'll be back again on Saturday for part one of our team grading episode. We look forward to seeing you then. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.